Welcome to the Zulu Time podcast, a straight talking conversation between two watch enthusiasts about the world of military watches. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to episode 71 of the Zulu Time podcast with your host Dan from Timely Underscore Moments. So I feel like I'm in a, on a bit of a roll with podcast recordings as of you know the beginning of 2023. Um, at the time of recording this, I've actually managed to organise two further recordings in the same week, which is really good. And looking at my um, kind of forecast of events and forecast for episode release, in theory, guys, that actually um, ties me quite nicely right up until May, which is handy because I have a feeling that in my current role, I'm going to be quite busy around the beginning of May because there's a certain bloke getting a crown, like officially. So like, you know, it's quite handy that I've managed to obviously coerce these people or persuade as, a, you know, or just convince, you know, and invite people on, you know, that or... I like to think the Zulu Time podcast has now got a reputation of conducting really good interviews with various entities within the watch fam, as it were, um, be it industry or collectors, which is really good. Um, on that subject, um, I've obviously just got back from Kenya and I've decided that I wanted to have a catch up episode with the ever reliable, the ever famous uh, AJ Barso. AJ, how are you, bro? <laughs> Good, Brohim. How are we doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. As you can see, right, I've got a little bit of a tan from the African. You do? Sun, yeah, you're good. glowing. You're glowing, yeah. man. Mate, it's a fantastic trip. Yeah. Uh, I was ill for the entire duration of the trip, which was not ideal. So I managed to get a cold, like in England, the week I flew out. And then I was, I was actually ill, like the entire time I was in Kenya, and then only felt better the week I got back. So I need to go back, not just because it was an awesome trip, but I need to go mm -hmm. back just so that I can do it without the, you know, waking up in the middle of the night, not being able to breathe or just being severely dehydrated or just, you know, just sneezing and just genuinely a bit congested, which was horrendous. Right. However, my oppo who went out with me, um, as we know, guys, we I was out there doing random photography taskings for want of a better expression. It wasn't random. We were actually training another nation in um, media, effectively, mm -hmm. media operations, which was really good. So um, I felt it was quite rewarding. But he had a different kind of illness and he was literally man down for oh. like. So he was out there a little bit longer than me. And he, I saw him today, obviously they're, they're recording. So I've been back just over a week now mm. and he's only just gotten better. So and he, had a, he had a different kind of illness, shall we say. Um, it was horrendous for him um, to the point where he didn't enjoy safari as much as he probably should have. However, right. me being the good oppo that I am, occasionally he would just turn around after seeing like a lion or a giraffe, you know, within a few meters of me, turned around and just seeing my oppo just in the corner of the four by four minivan, looking a little bit gray, a little bit, you know, feeling sorry for himself, you know, and sweating. So as long as I wasn't that bad, it couldn't, you know, couldn't have been any worse. So uh, that, that getting, getting sick right on route to travel is probably the worst. And yeah. as someone who gets bad motion sickness, like that, 
that is not a good scene for me. But I did live vicariously through you that week, um, even though you were under the weather. Because uh, what are you practically now a little Nat Geo fellow in training? Because, dude, like your safari photos were dope. The giraffe. Cheers, bro. The, yeah, the giraffe is it, my background on my phone, man. It was it was a phenomenal experience to the point where I will now. I've just decided I'm going to put it into the show notes. Not my photography. If, if you want to see my photography, then obviously they can go and see that, and I'll appreciate all the support. However, <laughs> what I will do is I'll put like a link to Nairobi National Park. Um, yeah. If you ever go to Kenya, be it for work or pleasure, guys, and you cannot get to the Masai Mara, because I just didn't have time to do the Masai Mara, um, go to the uh, Nairobi National Park. So it's the smallest park in Kenya. It's still mm -hmm. huge, it, but it's the smallest one. Um, it The only big animal that it doesn't have is elephants. Okay, so I want to just throw that out there for you before anyone goes there and goes, Dan, you told me to go there. I only wanted to see elephants and I didn't see any. Okay, the reason for that is animal conservation, environmental conservation, elephants are too big to be on national, the Nairobi National Park. So they actually move them to the Masai Mara and they keep them away from Nairobi. The only elephants that are in Nairobi are orphaned elephants and they're a part of the elephant orphanage and it's a separate area, so you won't see them. Um, so yeah, there you go. That's my caveat for Nairobi National Park. However, you'll see pretty much everything else. Um, it cost me 124 quid. Um, mm whole morning so we got up really early it was about seven hours in total including getting there um our driver was fantastic so that that included the t um insurance mm. and getting access to the to, to the park and it included our tickets so for a morning you can't complain and you got unlimited drinks so you didn't get food but you're too busy doing what you're doing you yeah. just got unlimited drinks and it was phenomenal like i said i had a lion and a lioness uh, move uh, within a meter and a half of the vehicle um, and you know what I've seen these on that geo I've seen these things on YouTube I've seen the other vloggers and photographers do do this kind of wildlife photography you know we've all seen David Attenborough but until you literally see one that's not behind the glass pane and it, you are effectively in the glass pane you know what I mean you're in its playground mm -hmm. you just sit down and kind of go you know what there's absolutely nothing superfluous on that animal that isn't designed to aid it in doing what it does which is basically sleep eat procreate and kill like yeah well yeah. welcome welcome to the real life jurassic park um, yeah yeah and and, those things they're huge yeah and, and you say jurassic park right what's really funny is that there is literally a single chain link fence and the road separating you from the national park and you do go through an entrance which is very much like the entrance of jurassic park and it's like you know so yeah phenomenal experience really loved it um if you do go and you are budding photographers or you are photographers do not use a phone okay no. because you just will not get the fidelity guys there was so many other vehicles out there on these tours which is great actually because people think that's like obviously endangering the animals and it's not very good for the environment but actually they the way they do it is very carefully controlled you've got you know you have got the nairobi kind of like the, the wildlife rangers there who are the only mm. people allowed outside the vehicles for safety reasons um but it actually means that the animals aren't afraid of the vehicles 
So you do get very close to them. So if your drivers are very good, you do get very close to some very big wildlife. Okay. So obviously don't take that as, you know, a bad thing. However, what I did notice is I think out of the other 10 or so vehicles that I paid attention to, I think only two had real cameras. Oof. You need to take a real camera because you just don't get much. you don't you don't get the fidelity on your videos or your imagery. You know, I was on a two hundred mil um, Most of the Canon Canon R lens, um, and I had a six hundred with me, and that's okay, well, the only six... way that I yeah. managed to get the you know the good photos. I would say. But tell me this: I mean, you were you were there for work, obviously, so you had access to a six hundred. Mm-hmm. But like, what would you say, like, if for because I mean, most people, if they have an APS-C sensor, you know, you can pick up a fifty-five to two ten from pretty much any of the systems yeah. for sub five hundred quid. Like, would you recommend uh, at, at least uh, like what what would be the range for the average shooter if they were going to go to Africa? So the average shooter, so my Oppo was shooting on a twenty-four to one hundred five in yeah. on full frame. So. Mm. I would say if you can have anything that it that can hit above 70 mil full frame, yeah, you're gonna get something good. Awesome. Anything and you're gonna be at that max focal length at all mm. times, to be honest. Um, mainly due to the environment. Um, obviously the vehicles are, are stuck um effectively to known tracks. So you have to kind of punch into the environment that you're that you're shooting into. Um, but that, like I said, that being said, you will come up very close to, um, animals as well. So that also brings me up to another thing. Like you're shooting in, I mean, the full African sun, like were, Mm -hmm. were you pretty well stopped down? I mean, most of those, most of those uh, lenses for the average shooter, you're not going to be shooting at, you know, F2. So like, where were you shop stopped down? I I was, I was F8 to F11. Yeah. Yeah. F8 to F11. Um, the 600 mil that um canon is actually its minimum i believe is f11 mm. um you know it's just a cheaper 600 mil lens that being said yeah it's a cheaper <clears throat> 600 mil lens and i'm very fortunate so you know yeah. what i mean it's it's one of yeah. those so take that guys with a pinch of salt you know That's but what, yeah. I, I just wanted to highlight this because i know there are a few guys within the zulu time podcast kind of you know followership who are very big into photography totally. um you know and i felt it would be wrong of me not to give that kind of advice um and like i said guys i will put some stuff in the show notes um and it was really good you know so i'm glad yeah. you enjoyed it aj i'm glad you lived oh, yeah. vicariously um for that element of my work trip um but the rest of the work trip was also good bro like it was good to um go out and you know teach what we were teaching uh, mm-hmm. and meet new people so you know n- no complaints whatsoever i also Managed to get an analog explorer podcast patch out yeah. into Africa, which is I appreciate good. that. Yeah, that you've you've now got uh, now the analog explorer. Let's see, obviously it's been out in Europe, uh, it's been out in the East, uh, Middle East. It, now it's been out in Africa. That's pretty cool, man. Like you're help, helping the analog explorer uh, kind of touch all the continents, which is cool. And I wasn't, I never expected that for my show, so appreciate <laughs> it. Good, good stuff. Um, right. Enough about photography, I think, for now. Um, invariably, it will probably crop up later on because of <laughs> the kind of people that me and you are. No. Um, but before we get into this kind of catch-up episode, um, yeah. which we have got a loose um, scheme of manoeuvre for it, guys. We actually do have some notes written down that you can hear. That we wrote them. like five minutes before. It is, but it, it, in our defence, it is stuff that we've been thinking about 
having oh, yeah, as an episode for a while. So yeah. I thought this is the best time to do it. But before we get into that, AJ, what watch do you have on your wrist? Uh, actually, I've got two. Uh, I'm back on course. So mm-hmm. I've got, uh, I'm in the uh, diver stress and rescue course through SSI, which is my the dive agency I, I'm a part of. And um, so I've got... Uh, a couple of sessions uh, in the pool. And then I've got another open water for my uh, stress and rescue course. Mm-hmm. So I've got my, uh, I until recently, cause I've been, you were abroad. I had some other folks abroad. I was wearing the uh, fair, uh, the Rocher so that I could uh-huh. track all of you in different time zones. Um, but since I've back into diving, I've got my Baltic Aquascaf bronze on my left wrist. And then I've got my Garmin Descent G1 uh, solar on my right, which is my predominant um, dive computer and stuff. Um, I'm, I was uh, scheduled to be back in the the pool uh, tomorrow for my um, like for my halfway mark through my course. Fortunately, my dive instructor is sick, so we got to reschedule. So, but otherwise, yeah, just double wrist in like normal. What about you, man? Nice. nice. So um, we've had this conversation over the last couple of weeks where I've been kind of tinkering with some watches. I had a big movement in in the collection and obviously a part of the scheme, uh, of our uh, kind of episode is uh, the state of the collection. Um, mm-hmm. So I've got a couple of watches in front of me, but I've got one on wrist. Um, but, so I'm in a bit of a vintage vibe, AJ. Today's, mm-hmm. um, or at least last couple of weeks, um, especially while I was out in Kenya, has been a bit of a vintage vibe for me. Um, and I believe, to be honest, that it's been spurred on through the last episode that I did with Oscar over at Presidious Watches. So firstly, um, Presidious um, did send me out an uh, Presidious Type 44 in 32 mil, which is effectively a carbon copy of the A11s from World War II, which has been really good. Mm. I took that out to Africa and it was fantastic. Um, so because I've been on a bit of vintage kick, I have uh, my SEMA Army um, timepiece or Army trade pattern watch um, on an original bond clip. And mm. um, this week, I actually did a little bit of watch maintenance and husbandry on a lot of the older watches. Um, and it's been quite fun, actually, to open up case backs and, you know, um, silicon grease gaskets and put them back mm-hmm. together and have a go at effectively kind of a little bit of regulation um, mm-hmm. on watches. Nothing too major, just obviously just on the um, on the little Swiss levers and all that kind of stuff. But it's been really cool to open up. And I discovered that in the SEMA, it was never opened up at all. Yeah, that's there's, cool. no, there's no um, markings in there from a previous service whatsoever. Um, and it was clean, bro. Like the movement was exactly what you'd expect from like a brand, not a brand new movement, obviously, but you know, a movement that has never Time been capsule. Done. Yeah. It was really cool to do that. Um, so I've got that on. Um, and actually last night I had a conversation with a watchmaker who was trained you know, like this on some of the old Smiths. W10 movements nice. all that kind of stuff in London so he's like nice. um, I forget which watch academy school for want of a better expression he went through um, I'll have to double check and I do apologise because he knows who he is um, but anyway um, he really rated the old SEMA movements from the 30s and 40s that were put into effectively the ATP watches as well as obviously the later Dirty Dozen but what's really mm. interesting about this SEMA and I've said it before but I want to highlight it again is it has a shock resisting balance that's it's got jewels yeah it's got shock resisting jewels on on the balance which is really funny right because we talk about shock resistance right yeah or or the watch fan though 
and they go, I want a watch that can survive loads of shock and survive loads of water and can do all this stuff. And we are like that, obviously, because we like tech specs because we're all nerds, right? Admit yeah. it, you know, we are all nerds. However, what I do find funny is when people kind of have a go and go, I want a watch that's really shock resistant, but I then sit at an office nine to five. Now, I'm not taking away from that at all, right? Mm-hmm. But I just want to highlight this to you. The majority of military personnel who invaded the beaches at Normandy in 1944 wore 32 millimeter hand wound, effectively dress watches without shock resistant balances. Mm-hmm. So if a non-shock resisting balance can survive storming the beaches at Normandy in 1944, I'm pretty sure you don't need the shock rating that you need to sit at your office in win- within modern watchmaking, right? Right. And that's what's impressive to me is that like you and I were, were talking off the mic. How old is that SEMA movement? How many years? Um, so obviously I can't tell you the exact age of this specific oh, watch. Yeah. But you're looking 1939. Yeah, I mean, that's right. So yeah. it's like 83 to 84 years at yeah. its youngest, really. That's great. I mean, the fact that you have a time capsule that you can crack open, it's still, uh, uh, I mean, it's. I'm guessing it's keeping great time. You said you were regulating it, so it's probably a little bit off, but. So it didn't, this one, I didn't regulate. It was the other one oh. I regulated. This one, you're like, is, is plus seven seconds a day. Perfect. I love my watch running a little bit hot. Plus seven seconds a day. And the original um, timing um, specifications was plus or minus 30. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's even wider than a Seiko rating, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, you know. Uh, but yeah, no, I think it's really cool. Um, it obviously doesn't have any loom on it whatsoever, but what it does have is really nice um, patina dial. Um, it it kind of looks like a bit of like a creme brulee kind of caramelly kind of dial. Um, all the loom plots are still there though. It's like none of it's degraded. It's obviously just lost its um, glowing ability. Um, and the hands are solid as well, which is good. So it looks really nice. Um, so that's yeah. what I've got um, Really cool watch. Really cool watch. Very cool. Very cool, dude. So yeah, um, I feel like we need to hit, right? We've gone from vintage with my, you know, wristwatch check to the two things that have happened in, well, one that's about to happen and one that's just happened very recently, which obviously got mine and your backup first. So which one do you want to go through? Which one do you want to do first? Do we want to do predictions or do we want to talk about the thing that happened? Oh, let's, let's do the thing that happened. Let's go, we'll go in chronolo- chronological order because the, the thing that's going to happen isn't for another week anyway. But mm-hmm. like the thing, the thing that happened. So, so the thing that happened, are we, we are on about guys, the mission to the, well, I've written it down here as mission to the moonshite gold. Yeah. Is that correct? So was that it shite, moonshite or right. moonshine? Yeah, it was moonshine. Moonshine it? Shine it? Shine, yeah, shine, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like the thing... <sighs> And this, this, this is what's great about it. this is almost a, a year to the episode that you mm-hmm. and I, we, we met up on the mic. We were giddy as schoolboys talking about this going to be launch of, you know, a, a, a an affordable speed master in fun colors. I was going to, you know, me and my family are going to go up and it's a whole family ordeal. And then as we all know, it has devolved into this hype beast of crap. And mm-hmm. the, then one year to the date, because Omega wants to, or uh, sw- sorry, Swatch Group wants to disrupt Watches and Wonders, the thing that's coming up in a week. And so they tried to do it again with a the, the, the Moon Watch, but, but just yeah. put a gold-plated seconds hand and add 25 quid to the 
price and then make it even more more restricted by only putting it in four cities yeah i but the best bit is they did it on a random full moon on a random month in 2023 right and i mean it does open up that they that they could do it for any month that has any full moon whatever mm-hmm. but like what what is and i mean i'm not saying anything that hasn't been said before nor are you but the thing is what's sad to see one year later is that uh, even even listening to folks in my own red bar group, like, you know, it's still not accessible to get them. Even if you do, you're not guaranteed to get the one that you want, depending on where in the world you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just it's it's taken something that should have been a second watch, a swatch. The fun part of it is gone. I even went so far and I, I told you this off the mic, you know, to to phone um, the, the 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 place up north of us that I could get on a weekend type of a thing. And they have an automated voicemail. They they don't even answer the phone. Just like and it's just like you know they're store hours. And then at the end, it's like if you're calling about the the moon swatch, it is first come first serve. We do not mm-hmm. have a wait list, and we cannot guarantee anything in stock. And my wife and I are just called it just called it just like we're we're totally burnt out on the fun part that this was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. My son wanted a red watch. He doesn't have a red watch. In the same year, the same year time frame that my son could have been playing. And probably broken by now, you and I both know mm-hmm. a, a red moon swatch. He has three block watches that he has mm-hmm. dove with, snorkeled with, climbed mountains with, has done mm-hmm. stuff with, and he has more of an affection for that than he did that one red watch that dad showed him and had to show him in a store window and told him we couldn't go get. Like that, that mm-hmm. sucks as a dad. Like, yeah, of course. It, because that, that that was the whole point, in, you know, as we talked about a year ago, like that was the whole point of this. It should have been fun. Yeah. And the fun is just be devolved into hype flippers, which I can't I still cannot believe the fact that the moonshine gold one on eBay the day that they were like released. I saw one so, sell, supposedly sell on eBay for like fifteen hundred dollars still like I mm-hmm. cannot believe that that is still a thing one year later. But it's yeah. like Pokemon. You got to catch them all, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you're like this. Um, a year to the day, effectively, like I said, of this podcast. And uh, it, I saw it posted yesterday, I think, or late last night, early, maybe early this morning when I was perusing uh, on, on the gram. Someone has got every single one of them, has Good acquired then. the display box. Whoa. And has sold it to an independent jeweler with the individual cobble packaging boxes. Funny enough, on the internet, last I checked, price available on request. I don't get it. I really don't. I don't get it. I don't get it. And the idea, like, you know, like we spoke about it. How cool would it be if you had, if you were, like you said, in your case, father and son, right? Yeah. And you had a speedy professional proper one. I say proper one inverted because obviously like it or not it's got amiga on the dial so in theory it's mm-hmm. an amiga in theory it is the cheapest retail amiga that one can buy um how cool would it be if you could match with your son as it were or yeah. your daughter or you know um and have a plastic version and you have the real one you know and, and that would have been really cool right yeah. um but like you said i think it's yeah it's gone crazy again it's very limited and also like 
what was all that stuff back end last year? This whole moon swatch tour, and they like bought X amount of Fiat five hundreds and decided to like drive them around, but you could buy them from the car. <laughs> yeah, my, mental. Like I'm not my, being funny, right? A Fiat five hundred is a really small car. Like, yeah. and I know the boxes are quite small, but you can't tell me that there's like an unlimited supply of like, you know, these moon swatches in the back of a Fiat five hundred. Like mm-hmm. it's not gonna happen, you know. No. And we talk about environmental friendly, like bioceramic and all that kind of stuff. Driving those little little Fiat five hundreds all across Europe has just dissolved any, you know, carbon positive impact that you've done by having this mm-hmm. thing made out of bioceramic in the first place. What they yeah. should have done, right? And I know Swatch isn't listening to me, and I'm aiming at a Swatch, right? Because I don't mm-hmm. think it's Amiga. And the reason why I say that I don't think it's Amiga is people will go out and buy Amiga anyway. Yeah, I mean, the, work, the regular yeah. Speedmaster is still selling great. I've, yeah, I've yeah, heard yeah. from other retailers, like they, and, I mean, I stopped stopped into an Omega real yeah. retailer recently and, you know, they're doing just fine, if not they, an uptick. Yeah, exactly. You know, and like I said, if anything, this is only highlighted to people what Amiga is. If you didn't already know from James Bond, um, you know, the moon landings, the Olympics and all that kind of stuff anyway, this is only just highlighted Amiga back to the non-watchman, right? The, mm-hmm. the non-watch. The watch fan. muggle. No, the watch yeah, muggle. Exactly. You know. Mm-hmm. So it's just one of those. Like I'm aiming this at Swatch. This clearly is a Swatch-derived marketing campaign. And you know what they should have done if they'd come to Dan at Tiny Moments and gone, Dan, you're a watch collector what should we do for the year anniversary of the release of the initial moon swatch? Now it would put people off obviously, because we don't like to iterate on things and have the original people feel like they're missing out. Mm. I'd have just released it again, but have the ability to take the case back off and have the ability to service your own watch. Look, I was fully, and I I think I texted this to you when, when I saw the whole moonshine thing uh, happen, you know, and it would be great if they went ironic uh, or yeah, ironic. I think is when the system 51 came out the first set, you couldn't, they were totally sealed, seal and meal yeah, because yeah, yeah. of the manufacturing. The, then later the system 51 in plastic, you could get, get it somewhat serviced is what I understand, but they made the metal case version and they called it mm-hmm. the ironic. Mm-hmm. I was so like, I, like I told you, I go, if they did that, you know, just put it in plated metal, you know, made it mm-hmm. moonshine gold or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Like that would be cooler because you and I both know those those quartz movements, you know, they're I mean, they're not the greatest. Uh, I mean, they, they keep great time and stuff, but like the inability to service it, that's a deal breaker, you know, especially yeah. at the price point, you know, um, yeah. you and I both know you can get Seiko chronograph uh, watches at the same price and infinitely more serviceable. I mean. I, I don't even know the retail of the Pulsar chronograph, the issued one, or the equivalent of the issued one. Because I know the issue, I know the issued one doesn't exist in retail. So whatever right. that equivalent would be, you can buy and you can have mm-hmm. it serviced all day every day, effectively yeah. with just battery changes, gasket mm-hmm. changes, and just make sure you don't press the buttons on the wall, right? So you know, I do, I do know, I do know the Pulse, the the civilian version of the Pulsar that I have on loan. Uh, that's the military version. Like I, I have, I, I do have a way of sourcing one, and I can get it today USD for one hundred forty nine dollars. There you go. And that's Done. in a steel case. Yeah, you can buy a Seiko Five on a steel bracelet 
um, similar to the Mac V SUG watches, which we're going to come on to later, um, for £109 posted yeah. off Amazon. That's a mechanical 21 jaw movement. Anyway, yeah. I think it, we've done the mission to the moonshite gold. It didn't, it, it, it aimed for the moon and hit the stars, or did it just fail to launch? It, it very much failure to launch and and i still i still bring it back to you know like i said we're in the watch fam so we get it um my my wife still says she's a watch muggle which i think is hilarious because she has a better watch box than i do she but does we'll go- i've seen it guys I'm not even kidding. <laughs> yeah oh man i couldn't believe she, she's like i want this okay fine tell, so, tell somebody in the watch fam you want a new watch box okay sweetie you got it so no my wife she, she her hot take on this was real simple she's just like Wait, wait, so it's one year later and we still can't go up and get it? Well, why get it at this point? Why not just move on? And that's kind of that's kind of a shame, you know, because you and I were talking about it. The fact that one year ago, watch folk and watch muggles alike were talking about this. And I asked her um, before I told her about the moonshine stuff because she had she had even heard in her you know ecosystem about the original moon's watch because she was like, Oh my gosh, you've heard about this. Yes. One year later, she's like, Moonshine, what? So this from the, at least from my one hot take uh, wife, who's a, you know, semi watch fam, we'll call her watch muggle for the sake of this argument. She, it didn't even come into her purview until a watch fam person brought it up to her. And then even she didn't get why they put a gold kind of seconds on it. Why can't mm. we just go get them? Apparently as well, they had to have torches, didn't they? To prove that there was Prove gold. that it was. And yeah, that yeah, it shined. Yeah. And then you, you even pointed this out to me from a, from an kind of an information uh, aspect, like the initial press release, like the, the strap said uh, mission to Neptune, I think on it. Yeah. yeah the, 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 pre- the press release was wrong. Similar yeah. to that, you know, similar to the Tudor Ranger and how the press release for that was really shit cowboy music for an Arctic watch, you know, <laughs> yeah. just how things just don't kind of mix. Yeah. yeah, yeah you know, yeah. Uh, anyway, that, that's, that's weird. marketing. Weird. Guys. Um, yeah. So yeah, but yeah, no, it, it did fail to launch and it's a shame really, because I think it, like I said, it could have just been a lot more fun. than what it was. It could have been fun. So yeah. Um, Watches and wonders. It's in a week yes. or week or yeah. so. Right. So no, it is. It's a week to the day of this recording. Uh, it's in seven days. So firstly, right, my first prediction is Hodinkee podcast is going to go absolutely massive because they've already announced it. Yeah, I think they have two shows a day for the week. I think I heard James Stacy mention on one of the shows. Mm-hmm. So I mean, be some pretty good coverage. Yeah, I mean, I'm always interested, right, because it's always good to see what kind of things come out. Um, I'm mm-hmm. obviously not actually that bothered because I don't like to. I've realized the price point in which I like to play with my watches now in terms of like what I like to buy, unless it's yeah. something spectacular, um, I'm not going to play to that level. However, it doesn't mean I can't appreciate it all. Right? Yeah, totally. So um, firstly, I want to take it back very quickly to Amiga. I'm assuming Amiga aren't at Watches of Wonders. They will just do their own thing because yeah, obviously yeah. they released that new, in that Speedmaster with the new balance spring or whatever it was that was really cool so um that as a technology thing is really cool and that's what i like watches and wonders for is when people or companies iterate on their technological material kind of you know manufacturing Mm -hmm. element not necessarily this watch is new because it's a new colorway right so i think i'd like to think that there's going to be a few watches where there's an advancement in that side of it 
Mm. Um, I do believe, however, uh, and it's not really a prediction because we know this is how that group work, is they are going to have the more fun, enthusiast-driven watches from Tudor. Yeah. And you'll have the stoically, uh, really expensive, diamond-encrusted watches from Rolex. And yep. there won't there and there may invert a case 180 degrees and give you a left-hand drive. <laughs> or no, no well, they, they already did or, that. They'll probably put that in a different colorway, maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But you know what I mean? Like that, that's the yeah. iterations you're getting. However, it'd be interesting because apparently it's the 50th anniversary of the Daytona. Or yeah, that's something what you're like that. About. Yeah. Is it the 50th or the 70th? Anyway, fifth, whichever one it is. Um, I have a feeling because of that, you're gonna get a green ceramic Daytona. Oh, green. Yeah, because it's uh, the same as the Kermit, the Sermit, the Smarty shoot, whatever they want to call it, that horrible green one. That's not the Hulk, the one that yeah. they, like I said, turned upside down for no reason. Um, green is the color, right? So yeah, I think so. I have a, I have a feeling something green on a Daytona. Um, I would love actually to see a white dialed Tudor Ranger. Oh, that'd be cool. But they just did the Rangers. I don't know if they if they would that quickly put out a an a, a version change. Mm. You know, you never know. Yeah. You know, you never I w- know. I would love would to see cool. like I would love to see like and I'm not you know me, I'm not a big Rolex fan, but like the it would be cool to see a like a like a nice white dial explorer, a polar yeah. explorer. Um you know, like the just, old precisions from ex- yeah, 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 exactly yeah, yeah. where I was going with that. You know, like it would, that would be cool. Um, you know, and like I said, I, the, the case sizes and all that other jazz, I don't really, I don't, I don't, I don't really track that stuff with Rolex, mm-hmm. but like from an aesthetic side of things, you know, the, the Polar Explorer GMT is always a, a fan favorite and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it would just be cool to see that come down to a steel cased, um, Rolex Explorer proper. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, you know, it'd be even cool if they, uh, cause I know that they usually the Explorer, like you have an Explorer, you have a, what, a 38 yeah. So mine is the 39 mil from 39. 2018. So it was yeah. the Mark II version. So the Mark II version being the hands actually fit the dial. Mm-hmm. The, well, I say fit the dial. The hands on both versions fit the dial clearly because they spin around the dial and don't, you know, not tell time. But the Mark II version, the the handset is more in proportion to the 39 mil dial, whereas the first version they just took 36 mil hands and put it onto a 30 mil dial. Got it. Yeah, yeah. but it'd be it'd be cool for like for Rolex to kind of like go back into their repertoire mm. and kind of bring back more of the the instead of the applied indices because you know shiny whether it's white gold mm-hmm. or you know steel whatever applied on white it can kind of be hard for legibility yeah, to see. Yeah, yeah. So to go something like painted and go, or, you know, um, you know, a black framed painted mm-hmm. dial with loom or something to make it more of a sports watch than a luxury mm-hmm. watch. It'd be cool for them to do that. I don't think they will. No. Um, but it's but... a shame really, because like you said, I think Tudor have now taken on that mantle of yeah, the, totally has. um, yeah, the everyday luxury, the, the tool watch. Um, and that being said, actually something I do like about Tudor, um i've handled now modern tudor i've put my mm-hmm. explorer next to the ranger and mm-hmm. i came out the conclusion of if i didn't have the explorer i would buy a ranger obviously because yeah. you can't really tell the difference um but what i do like is their marketing i do like their adverts they've got a series called like daring jobs and stuff like yeah, that it's really this. good shorts 
um, episodes or YouTube shorts um, for Tudor. They've done it really well. Um, I would like to see an iteration on the Tudor Black Bay GMT. I would love to see... I'm never going to get it smaller because they're going to clearly keep it at 41 mil and I can live with that. But I would like to see it with a different colorway. I think I think the Pepsi bezel needs to, an up, update, upgrade yeah. for one expression. Um, and especially now that that movement has you know been around for a few years now and they've sorted out that problem with the mysterious jumping dates, you know, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So that would be cool to see, I think. It would be. Um, and yeah that's that's kind of like my main predictions i mean i know they're not out the ballpark of impossibility and i know they're probably pretty generic um and it kind of just shows you where i'm at in terms of like the swiss kind of like iterations of watches um but to be honest i just don't i see no affinity with the higher up level stuff you know i don't see an affinity with patek i don't see affinity with ap and any of that kind of stuff Um, it's not not my wheelhouse either I find it very hard to like any of them because I we we coined it earlier and it's watch saturation. Yeah. I feel there's a lot of saturation at that level of the market and it's just like, well, actually, do you want it just because it's got a Tiffany blue dial and it's white gold? I don't care. Mm. You know, there's nothing actually special there. It's a bit like how Tiffany have collabed with Nike, haven't they, with um, Nike Air Force trainers and they're now selling tiffany blue air force trainers like you know okay cool you just get me color out now i'll just spray paint my trainers that pastel blue you know what i mean will you really no i won't i'd love to see you in those no i don't see it i don't see it um but yeah so like you know there's some predictions it'd be interesting to see what happens i'd be interested to see what seiko bring out yeah, I'm always I, interested I, to see what Seiko bring out because when Grand Seiko start, Seiko start playing around, you know you're always in for an interesting dial. Whether you would wear the dial or not is right. completely different. But I have to say, Grand Seiko makes some of the nicest dials I think ever. Oh, totally. Oh, totally. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll I would go that route as well. And the other thing about Grand Seiko that I think um, kind of gets, uh, I don't know, gets lost sight of is the fact that like you know the spring drive movement like that thing is just like you were saying from a technology standpoint it's dope what i'd love to see is like the spring drive movement get especially on the diver side of things Mm. if you look at the grand seiko divers like those things are on horkin cases Mm -hmm. and horkin thick um and if you go back to like the original days of um uh oh man what's their high the creedor like if you Mm -hmm. look at the like the original creedor that had um the uh, seiko spring drive in it you know, those things were smaller case, you know, they're, they're smaller in diameter, smaller in every way. And just over the years, it's gotten bigger and bigger, and bigger. It'd be nice to see like a more, um, uh, dare I say like a prospects level of casing around a spring drive movement. Um, that'd be mm. kind of cool to see. And we, I mean, we kind of have seen a little bit of, of iteration in the, in the spring drive or maybe it was their, their high beat. I can't remember which, which other movement line they just recently kind of slimmed down, but like, it'd be nice to see the higher end of Seiko, yeah. um, you know, kind of bring their case diameters, um, to more mortal size. And that's coming from a diver, you know, like, yeah, be, yeah cause they are, nicer. they are quite big. And if they're not like big in diameter, they're, they're high. Yeah. They're, know? they're tall. They really are. 
Um, but I, I mean, I still like them. It's just, it's again, it's not something that I would rock. Um, mm. You know, it's just not my, my, not my thing. Uh, I love Seiko. Don't get me wrong, but like you were saying, it, it's cool to see Seiko outside mm. of Grand Seiko yeah. do their thing during this time. I find it cool that on social media, uh, their prospects line, they're throwing a lot of love. I mean, granted, mm. at the end of each of their ad, small adverts, they're, they're showing the SPB 143 at the end. But like, you know, they've got the the diving vignette that they've done. They've done the mountain vignette, which I would have mm-hmm. expected to see like the alpinist at the end of that yeah, one. Yeah, I would have. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then they had, oh, what was the third one, bro? I can't remember. It was the water, the mountain climbing, and I think like the polar expedition one. Yeah, yeah some maybe they did one, or something with ice which would have been a dead ringer for like the, the, the turtle that they did for um, in reference to the, the, the first, I think it was the first Japanese explorer to get to the poles or something. Yeah. But yeah, um, it's cool that they're, they're showing off a little bit more of the prospects mm-hmm. um, and leaning heavy into, yeah, of course it's lineage, but you know, advertising it. I mean, those are all, you know, $1,000 ish um, watches that, you know, hit just as hard as something like the the new titanium you know um black bay 39 you know for instance yeah you know you know or or other watches you know if you think about if you're going to steer away from swiss i mean another company which we all know i have a bit of an affinity with because i like the military side of it bremont you know i mean it's you know, yeah. there's another one that obviously that we've, we've spoke about that as options in the past you know and they just released a watch as well which um I'm not so in love with. I think the iteration's a bit late. Like, I like it in terms of I like a sandwich dial. So they just did the mm. uh, Broad Sword Recon with a sandwich mm. dial. I think sandwich right. dials are cool, right? Because they add depth and it's a different way to get loom. However, I don't know if this is now just me living a media kind of life. Um, but I looked at the press release and the mm. media release for it and nothing added up. Like the, the the wording was his majesty's, the case back say her majesty's. Right. You know, you've got different on the phot- photography side, you've got like what appeared to be like faux patina loom on the sandwich dial, but then bright white indices in the hands. Hmm. Like it just, things didn't quite add up for me. And it was a shame because, you know, I think they could have just hit it out really well if they'd just done their simple, maybe like a complete case back change design somehow utilizing the three emblems that were historically on the HMAF anyway and put his majesties it would have been a simple change mm. they don't seem to have done that and like I read further down into that release and it was like oh we're making 200 of them and like I said I don't I don't know if I'm just being cynical or whatever and like I said I like Bramont we know I like Bramont we know I like the special projects but I've felt that in the last year, some some of their retail stuff just doesn't kind of match with the side of Bromont that I know, hmm. you know, and I feel like it kind of came across. And I spoke to some other people who are like even more hardcore into Bromont than I am in terms of the retail side. Like, they, they, you know, they've got like five retail Bromonts. So that's a lot of money to Whoa. drop, right? Yeah. You know, because we know how much they are. And I'm not saying that they're better or worse, but, you know, that's their personal choice. Um but he said even to him, when he read it, he went, the fact that they're saying it's 200 limited edition and they say Her Majesty's Armed Forces on the back, he went, it just stinks to me of they had 200 Her Majesty's case bags mm. left and they needed to use them. Like, I've been to the wing. I don't know how much it costs for you to machine a case back. However, I've been to the wing 
it's probably not going to be hard for you to laser the words his instead of mm. her and just cut your loss on the unfortunate, uh, say the unfortunate, the passing of her late majesty, the queen, just cut your losses and be like, look, mm. there's 200 case backs. You know what I'd have done? I'd have turned those case backs into challenge coins. Oh, that'd be cool. That's a cool take. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Easy. But anyway, that's a different release. Again, that, 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 that came out last week, you know, um, but yeah, I think I think somebody, you know, I, I hope that we're not saturated with shit iterations and same samey colorways of watches that were released last year. Like, yeah. you know, I, the Amiga release with that, you know, the new technology within the movement, I think is really mm-hmm. promising for the next couple of years, you know, and I, I hope that we see material and technological iterations now on some watches that yeah. we may have not seen in the last couple of years. Right. I also I also hope to see more accessible everything. I mean, I think everybody and their cousin now has, you know, for the last 10 years have been asking, where are GMT watches that are accessible with GMT mm-hmm. movements that are accessible? And now, like 10 years later, we've got what we've wanted. I mean, both from Seiko and Citizen, mm-hmm. not really from the Swiss. I mean, there is the Salita, what is it? The SW330. Um, yeah. that's their, their GMT or their world time. I can't remember which one, but like, uh, it's, it is the GMT because I believe it? it's, that's the same movement that's going into the Beachmaster. Oh, okay. So like, yeah, but I mean, like, it would be nice to see something in that same vein coming from the Swiss side, uh, for accessibility. Um, mm. I mean, like I said, from the Japanese side or from the independent side, we, I mean, I think independent of... side, right. In the yeah. independent side. Yeah. It just, it'd be nice. Um, just to have more options, uh, specifically in the design, because uh, the the NH is quite tall. I mean, it's just like the NH35 and the 36. It can be a quite tall movement, which means your case has to be taller. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Citizen, it's uh, it's a smaller uh, height on the mm-hmm. caliber. So you can get, you know, that's why I like my Baltic wear so nice because it's, you know, barely 12 millimeters tall uh, with the 9000 series in it. So it'd be it'd be nice to see from a mechanical perspective kind of a third option um, just so that we get a little bit more variety in the design aesthetic by way of the mechanical underpinnings. Because, I mean, there's only so much you can do if the limitation is what the movement is um, and when you encase it. But um, in that same vein, like I would like, especially from the diver side of things, and like you brought up uh, Elliot Brown, like the the Beachmaster, Mm -hmm. super dope, great, cool that they have that entire design, that entire heads up display for lack of better terms mm-hmm. um, that they've gotten to their mission timer setup. That's really dope. What I'm hoping to see more of is kind of that combination of dual crown, dual bezel divers. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the beach master and then uh, Christopher Ward. And I don't know if this slipped under my radar, but I, I just found out like uh, the C65 has a double crowned. I think they even have it in forged carbon or it was DLC. I can't yeah, remember. I believe it was a forged carbon case. Yeah. I believe. But, What's great about that is is the, having a double crown, non not not a true compressor, because I mean, yeah, Christopher Ward does have their actual C65 compressor case, which is mm-hmm. also equally cool. But something that I've wanted for years, and I've I've been looking, it kind of gets into our, our state of the collection. Something that I've always kept an eye out for is the old Sherpas. Um, I think even Encar uh, did this as well, but also Sakura before it got um, acquired through Bright uh, uh, Brightling. 
um, they had double crown, double bezel dive watches. Mm -hmm. And why that was kind of cool for that era is, um, and in case of Sakura, they called it the dive computer back in the day. And that was allowing you to have an internal rotating bezel ring. So you could do one set of count counting or count up, count down, Mm -hmm. and then an outer dive bezel for your bottom time. They went so far as they even had like, um, you could do double time. So you could have a double 12 on the inside and then have yes. your traditional dive bezel on the outside. And I really, you know, since the the late sixties, early seventies, when those came out, I haven't really seen anybody except for like the beach master. When you showed me that, that was the closest thing in like late, the, the, the current iteration. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the diver C65, whatever they're calling that, you know, I'd love to see that aesthetic come back that, mm. that era where. Again, it's passive mechanical innovation where we know how to do an internal bezel. We know how to slap a, an outside bezel. But mm-hmm. for somebody like me who wants to keep it accessible and have high functionality, I love a double 12. So give me give me an internal ro- rotating bezel with 12 hours so I can time shift here in the United States or even abroad. It's not that bad. And then give me a proper dive bezel on the outside so that mm-hmm. I can, when I dive like this coming weekend, you know, that way I can time shift with you when I got a podcast mm-hmm. buddy, I can keep my dive time when I'm uh, recreationally diving and it keeps the mechanical side, the movement side more accessible because all yep. you need is a three hander. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have a, an extra complication. It keeps your, your servicing hus- down, husbandry keeps, down. Ex- yeah. Yeah. Reliability is there. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's what I really miss. Like, you know, give me a good, I like Seiko's day dates, you know, but give me a date give me a three hander and let me do passive quote, passive GMT, CMT, cheap Mm -hmm. GMT, whatever you want to call it. But I, I still want my dive uh, bezel for, even if you're not a diver, like being able to have, look down at your risk, have a double 12 so that you can have a secondary time zone um, on the continent that you're on, or even, even if it's off continent Mm -hmm. and then being able to use your dive bezel to to do a T steep or whatever Bruce can do, you know, I want that. Um, personally, will I see it at Watch and Wonders? Probably not, but that's what AJ wants. That's what the analog explorer really wants. I don't think it's just what I don't think it's just you either. Like I said, you know, in general, you know, whether that specific double crown, double bezel is something you know that loads people want, that's by the by. But I think, like you said, just accessible iterations of useful complications useful complications Um, yeah you know i I think like you said that's what we're missing and you know i know we've spoken about it before and i've mentioned about the beach master and when it comes in obviously you send you as many beach master spam as possible but i think that is one of the best releases that i've seen in a long time like you know again let me take away my relationship with that brand Mm-hmm. But just looking at it categorically as a release, as a mm-hmm. actual thing, I think it's one of the best things released and unique things in a very long time. Mm-hmm. I, I would put it, and and I'm not a huge fan of them, but the the Seiko Five GMTs, the that mm. was yeah, you yeah. know as much as as much as people started to quickly poo poo the fact that it didn't have a screw down crown, and I've seen a diver actually use it underwater and without a screw down crown, just fine. Um, but the thing about that that I, I loved seeing is that it had a SKX 007 style case, mm-hmm. um, a form factor we all know and love. Price point is affordable, and it mm-hmm. gave everybody a GMT, something that we've asked for for years, and a variety of colorways, a, a spamming mm-hmm. of colorways. Yeah, yeah, That's not all my thing, but the fact is for the aspiring person who 
is on the fringe of the watch fam or somebody um, who is watch muggle and watch curious. Like that is exciting for me because mm -hmm. those are the conversations where I get the text, you know, on a Friday night where a significant other is thinking of getting their other significant other, a nice quote unquote watch. And mm -hmm. what do we, what do you think AJ about this? And it's in my price point that gives me a lot more uh, fun to talk about. And, watches. Yeah. And scope and options. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. as, like I said, I think, I think that's it as well. I think the fun needs to come back into this hobby a little bit. I think with bit, this oversat yeah, like I think with this oh, I say again, you know, I think with this oversaturation of different things, I think some of the funds disappeared in the last I'd say six months. Mm. You know, but again, just just my opinion. Just my opinion. Uh but yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens. But let's let's yeah. hope for more accessible complications and practical yeah. iterate iterations and innovations on things that people actually want. You know, yeah. it'd be nice to know about the big companies actually listen to um, the consumer, really. Um, so obviously with that side kind of put to bed, I feel like we need to talk about state of collection because um, I've had a lot of movement in <laughs> the past, what, since just before Kenya. Yeah. A lot of conversations and watch movement and plans. Um, so firstly, I just want to let you know, had a message from Paolo. Guys, if you've not listened to Paolo's episode, go back, listen to Paolo. Paolo's really cool. Paolo's a pilot. Um, Paolo, Paolo makes cool watches in Italy. Um, Hi, Paolo that, in Italy. Yeah, that, that watch should be coming um, in April, uh, which is really exciting. And for me, bro, like that's a watch I never thought I'd ever have in a collection to, to mark that part of my loose career and work experience and like formative stuff in that regard i think mm -hmm. that's a really cool watch so looking forward to that coming in um you know i had a conversation with him after you know since the podcast dude those case backs that he does mm -hmm. like hours of lasering work oh yeah to get, to get that type of relief yeah i as someone who's recently done some some laser projects yeah i i totally i can totally understand mm-hmm Mm. Yeah. but you know what fantastic the finishing mm -hmm. on those is great and if no one's seen it and wants to see it either go onto his page or just drop me a message because I, i'll yeah. send you the case back which will go on my watch um not my one because obviously mine's in the post or you know is due to arrive with him um end of the month um but the project's case back now you know because it is open and online um but the finishing on it is phenomenal like totally. the fact that he was just like that's by laser i was like i genuinely thought it was stamped like mm -hmm. yeah stamper yeah. casted yeah mm -hmm. no a lot and especially like in the like challenge coin era uh area and stuff like you can go a lot of different ways you can go stamp minting you know which a, a, a lot of people do do but for people who want to do small batch stuff like i've turned to you know a maker who uses a laser and it does mm -hmm. it does take a while but you can get um 3d uh that 3d carving as it were um into a variety of different metals and if you know how to design that way, you can do it yourself or typically a lot of the cost goes into that first, you know, rendering. Initial, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But like the nice thing about a laser is, is it's uh, reductive processing as opposed to an additive process. So you can do smaller batches once you have that set up, but same thing. Like when you told me that that's how he did his case backs, I was like, oh, that totally makes more sense. You know, you're able to do that level of fidelity and you can do it in a smaller batch. Um, but yeah, it does take a lot of time to have that, those layers cut in does take a lot of time a lot of lamp hours but yeah that's cool but you know what 
like I said, I, I like to think the results speak for themselves. You've seen totally. some of the um, pace back finishes that he's obviously posted online and for various watches, and it just looks mm. phenomenal. So excited to get that in. Um, I also have some vintage Seiko coming in. Yeah. So what, what, kind, what kind of vintage what Seiko? Are you going kind of to mention it? You're going to mention yeah, it? Yeah, I will do. So this is a watch, right, that I never thought I'd ever be able to buy. So hence the big movement, right, which we're going to discuss. And it's been a bit of an elephant in the room because loads of people have been like, what the fuck? Okay. <laughs> um, what did Dan do? What, what did, did Dan do? do? What Or what is Dan planning? So I'm breaking up the band. Oh, my God. What band could you be referring to? We're breaking up the Mac Sog band. Oh, my God. The band. Hold the, the presses. Band. Yeah, the band. <laughs> Right. And the reason for this, right, is because I'm very fortunate. And as are you, you've got some fantastic watches in your collection. Like I said, this is the state of collection part of the podcast. Um, I only have two wrists. And unlike you, I don't double wrist watches often unless I'm timing another watch after I've had a go at regulating. So I don't tend to do it. So I only wear one watch. So, you know, yes, I have been known to swap watches throughout the day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I get from watches that way. But nine times out of ten, AJ, I'm very fortunate to be able to open a suitcase of watches or two suitcases of watches, wind them, set mm-hmm. them, put them back and go, well, actually, that'll be in the rotation this week. You know, but I've got, you know, for want of expression, I'm very fortunate. I've got so many that I just don't get around to wearing them. Right. Um, And I realised that actually out the back of the Rico Watches podcast that I did at the beginning of the year, and we talk about aims for 2023, I think for me it's consolidation, I think, of pieces that I'd actually wear. You know, and like I said, I've been fortunate through the podcast to have these conversations and interviews now with people and have these, you know, ability to effectively, you know, have the conversation where you can tell us, well, actually, you know, what's, would move what would sit in the collection well and you know all of that kind of stuff and like with what's coming in mm-hmm. ultimately those things would mean more to my collection especially like i said paolo's watch is a good example and to me personally not even as a collector just personally as a person um than a couple of vintage watches that are the correct reference that served with a particular special forces unit in the vietnam war mm-hmm. you know um and at the end of the day I've got the photos, I've got the podcasts, yeah. people know that I've owned all three and I've been very fortunate to own all three. I've loved owning all three, mm-hmm. um, but it's just time, bro. It's time to allow mm-hmm. two of them to go to other collectors who have been cool. after them for a very long time um, to, you know, get some enjoyment out of them, you know, because ultimately it sounds really bad, but two of them end up just being very expensive, still life product photography pieces. <laughs> Um, because I'd only wear one of them and I am keeping my favourite one I'm keeping the rarest one out of the three because I'm Dan and I like rare things Uh, but you know what I mean shiny magpie magpie. you know what I mean but so that's what's happening so two of them are going we're breaking up the band and they've uh, effectively vetted the the um, uh, the the prospective buyers I didn't vet them but you know they're, they're known in the watch community so I do hope that when they go to them by the time you listen to this episode they should be on the way to them um people um you know they enjoy them um but mm-hmm. what i'm getting in in return um and he is featuring on a future podcast that we're recording this week um is coming from mr dev martin 
Dev Dev's collection. Um, What's up, Dev? And yeah, hey Dev. Um, looking forward to having you back on the uh, the show to talk about Soon. all things. Yeah, to talk about all things vintage Seiko and the stuff that we're going to talk about. Um, but yeah, he's kindly again in a similar position. Look, very nice watches in his collection that he just doesn't mm-hmm. wear. And I may have just turned around and said, I wanted first refusal on a particular watch. And he just turned around and went, do you actually want it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, when you get told, do you actually want it on a watch you have first refusal of, and it's that rare, you move heaven and earth to get it, right? Yes. Um, so Seiko chronographs, AJ, what's mm-hmm. your opinion on them? So I mean I love them. I I'm not I'm not a, okay, as I've said on this show and, and other shows like I'm not a huge chronograph person. I don't I prefer a dive bezel. Um, even before I was a diver, like I just I, that's my preferred complication. Um, mm-hmm. but like for me, like I prefer two. There's there's two that are out there. The old Seiko speed timers. Um, yeah. you know that that would be the same movement that's in like the Pogue, mm-hmm. and then also I like. I mean, the, 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 uh, mecha quartz that they make, yeah. I just think that for a generic, and I've referenced that for a lot of people watch muggles who are trying to get, you know, quote, a nice chronograph for their, their spouse. You know, I, I usually point people towards that because as soon as you get into mechanical chronograph, anything, you're looking at a higher service. Um, and they don't, they don't, but you want the, the tactileness that is in a mechanical chrono. So that's yeah. what usually why I point that direction, but both of them happen to be psycho. I'm, I'm not. I'm not a huge, uh, you know, Etta mm-hmm. chronograph person. I do like your chrono stop from Omega, uh, Omega, oh, you know, yeah, like, yeah. just because of the family really lineage. Cool. Yeah, you yeah. Know? and also a really cool um, chronograph movement. That was obviously the effectively it's the minute countdown that's on for yeah. Speed, Speedmaster. Really cool. Um, I, I have a few chronographs, as, as people know, in my collection of quartz and mechanical, you know, mm-hmm. from Salita. Um, and Ronda and Etta, you know, yeah. like the 7750, really nice mm-hmm. chronograph, cost yeah. me 650 quid to service the fucker. Yeah. Like, and it's a lot of money. It is. And that's that's the reason why I, like I said, for somebody who doesn't, I don't do track days. I don't do those type of mechanical timings. It's just that isn't in my wheelhouse, which is why I usually gravitate towards uh, quartz like the Pulsar. Like, I like that. But, uh, you know, if, if I were to go down the route of a mechanical uh, chronograph, the old Seiko speed timers, uh, pre-Pogue, like that was kind of the era that I really, I like that case. I like everything that was that movement. And I believe that is something that's coming into your wheelhouse fairly soon. 6139. I've never looked at them before, mainly because I never thought I'd have the ability to buy one. So, uh, I'm getting a Japanese air self-defense force issued 6139. Yeah, right. with the Arabic dial. With the Arabic and the dial wheel. and the kanji date wheel and the correct case back, which yes. for me is everything. So the correct case back on this is literally a stenciled, very 1970s retro, because obviously these watches were issued in like 1969 to 72 or something like that, retro uh, Japanese jazz def pilot's wings, which have got the cherry mm-hmm. blossom, which was a thing... If you look back at Japanese issued military watches to the Japanese Imperial forces during World War II and even before when Seiko was Sakosha, um, you'll see these cherry blossom dials and cherry mm. blossoms on the back. So very similar to the broad arrow for the British and all that kind of stuff and the US ord markings that you see on all the American stuff. Um, 
what a fucking cool watch. Like, there's no it other is. way to describe it, right? Just it is. A fucking cool watch. And um, very limited. Like, you want to talk about limited. Like, there's, so there's, there's the Jazz Def for the pilot wings, and then there's yeah. also for the Navy. And those are two yeah. different stamps. Yeah. But combined that we know of through through dev and through the watch fam how many of these exist that are out there that are known on the forums and from the research that dev's done and obviously i've since had a look around five yeah like and that's that are split known. across navy or maritime and air force hmm? um it's a yeah. very dan watch dude it's a very timely moments watch like <laughs> i like to think so i like to think so 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 yeah that's what's coming in it's fucking exciting to be honest because it's just a cool watch um yeah. also the sizing is really nice 39 mil. yep 39 yeah, mil. That's, that's why i like those yeah so um and, and nerdy right because it's the first automatic chronograph in space so mm. very excited to get that in there will be a lot of seiko spam and that is why we're getting dev on the show to talk about venture seiko because I also realized in the purchase of this watch, I'm keeping with my tradition within my own collection, which just is happened by fluke, really. I've never owned a modern Seiko, as in Seiko Seiko. Yes. I've owned modern watches by Seiko Corporation or have Seiko movements, but I've never owned a modern Seiko dialed watch, as it were, mm. branded watch. So, yeah, highly excited to get that in. Um, really cool and that's why we're breaking up the band because we have to break up the band because that thing that as we've spoken about is something that i wear and will wear a lot <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah yeah so, so yeah. i look forward i look forward to when you get that like i said those that's a cool era and you know it as far as and especially because it's got the arabic dial um it, the yeah i didn't there. realize that was a, i didn't realize that was just to those versions like i'd seen some Arabic dials before, and we've spoken about it in the last couple mm -hmm. of weeks where some people fake them, don't they? Or have done they in do. the past. They but do. it's a very niche thing to fake because so few of them are around, and it's very easy for people like, oh, who's it? Faco's Friday, and all the, you know, the Instagrams yeah. that are, you know, pop up around Seiko, which are actually a really good resource for Vinci Seiko anyway, um, highlight often. Um, mm -hmm you know, it's really easy basically to figure out if you find a fake one, you know. Um, so yeah, fortunately, the one that I'm getting in isn't fake, which is really good, you know, because um, yeah. we like Dev. Dev is a good egg. Dev, Dev, Dev can stay is, is is the term that I'd use. Um, so yeah, so a, a lot of movement, bro, in, in, in the watch collection at the moment. Um, but I'm also enjoying, like I said, tinkering around with watches and like using case. I'm glad now uh, mm -hmm. which is good which was actually something which i did set as an aim for 2023 within the podcast now was mm -hmm. to learn a little bit more and kind of be a little bit more self-sufficient with stuff like that um obviously there are certain watches where i just won't do it because sure. it's just not worth my time it sounds horrible but you know they're either too expensive or i've just got a good relationship with a company where mm -hmm. i will get it back within a week to do certain yeah. things yeah, when you have a law Ferrari, La Ferrari, you you take that one to Ferrari. That that one's yeah. good. But when you got when you got the the beater Acura and you need to do an oil change, go grab a wrench. You know. Yeah, exactly. So so there's that really. And then like I said, I, I picked up um uh, an SBS diver which came back. Uh, really fun story. I should probably write a post about this one. Uh, genuine post. So this actually I gifted ten years ago to a best friend from school. Um, That's he's cool. 
absolutely used it over the last 10 years to the point where it's taken a bit of a whack and the date day sorry day because day date uh, but day is ever so slightly misaligned so he's hit it really hard or something um but it's really cool because it's come back from multiple trips on the south atlantic where he did antarctic survey um That's cool. and it's now a project watch so i have no idea mm-hmm. what i'm going to do with it to be perfectly honest however he gave it to me effectively non-running and said do your thing and enjoy um i am going to recompense him for a watch because he's at the moment traveling Europe without a watch. The heathen mm-hmm. is only telling the time by his phone. Um, but I will square him away with something in in return for that. Um, and I think, like I said, it, it's a really cool little thing to come into the collection. I think for personal history side of it within the collection, the fact that I gifted it to him 10 years yeah. ago is quite cool for it to come back in and sit in the collection for however long it will sit in for, but also be, like I said, a project to kind of learn a little bit more about all of this stuff that goes on inside the watches. So um, that's my aim. Like I said, is consolidate to pieces um, that I'll wear more Mm. um, and and I guess become a little bit more self-sufficient when it comes to just generic stuff, really, because I know the theory because I've read enough books and posts and listened to enough podcasts, but I think it was time for me to actually start cracking open some cases, bro, and having a look, really. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of like my state of collection and mine for 2023. What about, you know, your state of collection? And we know that the wife has a better collection than you. Um, <laughs> yeah. and your boy's got a rapidly expanding collection, <laughs> Yeah, but, but what is on the cards in 2023, AJ, for your yeah. watch collection, bro? So, so in 2023, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, well, I already had my birthday, but at, uh, in 2024, so in pre- preparation, um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be having my 40th birthday. So, uh, which is a kind of a substantial birthday for me. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I, like many people know, like, I don't, I don't really go out and grab like the first watch that has hype around it. Um, you know, the, the last watch that I got would have been the, the Ferro Rocher. Mm-hmm. Um, that know, was and, a while ago. Mm, that was, a, that was a hot minute ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, short of like stuff on loan and stuff like that, that notwithstanding, um, or actually, no, I take that back. I guess the, I did get one right after that. That was my one uh, one of two Aries, the the diamond oh, yes. one out of the yes, back yes, end yes, of the, yes. the episode. So I guess, yeah, I guess I did have one after the fair, but like that one, you know, that one's kind of special because that was announced on my show. So like, mm-hmm. you know, that was, that was, that was cool of Matt, but like the, but for production side of things, like the fair was it uh, planned, you know, the, the thing is, is that like, I, I do a lot with my watches. Like I dive with my, di- my, my Aries diver one, it's gone down mm-hmm. to 126 feet. Um, you know, my, my Baltic goes diving with me. My Seiko SKX 007 goes diving. So, with so me. you like, took your Baltic down and it doesn't have the screwed around crown. What? Oh no, the Baltic does. Oh, yeah, it does. The, it yeah, does. yeah, this one does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all of my dive watches, uh, do have screwed down crowns, but like that, that doesn't stop me. Like if it's, if it's pressure rated, I mean, I'll, I'll take it down. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, no, so like the 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 one that gets the most wrist time is surprisingly the the Baltic. Like it it it's so easy to wear. I love the skin diver style case. I love how thin it is. Um, I love the uh, like I mentioned when we we're talking about watches and wonders. Like I love the quote explorer style dial. I like a twelve three six nine dial. It's just that's my thing. Um, and so like realistically, like this is like nine times out of ten, this is on my wrist. I can go anywhere and do anything. It's been at the mm-hmm. top of Mount St. Helens. It's been at the bottom of the Salish Sea. I love it. So for me, like 
that's more of what I'm akin to in my collecting. Um, and anybody who's followed the analog explorer kind of knows that about me, but it's kind of taken hold a little bit more in the watch. maybe because of saturation, a lot of people thinking of consolidating the one watch mentality, I, whatever. Um, I'm never going to get to one watch, bro. No, no, nor am I, nor am I. You know what I mean? But, like it, it, it's it, those who aspire to that crack up, like yeah. props, if you can do it. Um, yeah. I, I just know that I wouldn't be able to. Yeah. You know, uh, my dad is a one watch guy. He has his same dive watch that he dove with back in the seventies. And it is a cool watch. <laughs> yeah, that 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 that's my grail. You know, like and I've mm. I've said that on many shows, like, you know, that that would that is my grail. Um, but like for me, you know, for my 40th, if I could find or have like like I was mentioning, if I get a double crown, double bezel watch, that would be something I would gain. Uh, I would it and if it had the functionalities and it had the aesthetic, mm. that'd be something I'd be looking for. But like in the pipe right now, there's really not much that I'm looking to acquire. Um, and I'm going to actually bring up, um, so watch crunch is kind of like a social network for, for watch enthusiasts. And also it's kind of a forum kind of all wrapped in one. I need uh, to use it more. I have yeah. a watch crunch and I forget, I keep forgetting and it sounds really bad. It's because it, it's because it doesn't have an app. Yeah. It's a persistent web app mm. and stuff. So um, small scrappy team, uh, Max, uh, who's at watch crunch, uh, on Instagram. He's actually in my, my red bar group now in Seattle, um, mm-hmm. shout out to him and stuff, but, uh, on there they have, um, every week they have this, um, uh, newsletter that gets sent out called, uh, bites, um, uh, watch mm-hmm. crunch bites. And the, uh, I'm going to call her the editor, editor at large, uh, at least of it. Um, I think her name is Kaisa and she goes by at deeper blue on watch crunch and, um, on she, I mean, she, she does an awesome job bringing up different things in the community, which is cool. But one of the things that she posted on, um, just earlier today at the time of this recording is the rise of the D influencer. And I thought that was an interesting post. Mm. Um, the, the, you know, the, the notion that, you know, there's influencers, we all know them, um, on Instagram that gets the latest hotness and that kind of, you know, stumps the wares for that brand. Um, and there are some that, you know, are upfront of who, if they're an ambassador of it, or if they're, you know, on, on deck for that brand, a lot of people are upfront about it, which is cool. Like I, you know, I get it, but what was interesting is I put a comment in there. just like, you know, I'm, I would hope to think that I'm, I'm in that kind of brand of, of D influencer, because quite frankly, if I had my choice of spending money on a watch that it is in the, that's hot or spending the same money to go do something with one of my watches on wrist. I would prefer the latter than the former. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it's, it's similar in the same vein as like, you know, Chase Jarvis out of Seattle is often attributed to the quote, you know, the best camera is the one that you have. I, I tend I mean, to amend fact. that. Yeah. Mm. I tend to amend that and say like the best camera is the one that you have and you know how to use is how I, I typically reframe that quote. Yeah. Ideally um, not ideally not an automatic. Well, yeah, yeah. But like, you know, for me, like I would rather, you know, you know, I can look at any and all of us in the watch time could do that. We can look at our watch case and be like, oh yeah, I did that with that and that with that, you know. And you know, for me, like that's the Baltic most of the time. Um, or the SKX031 that I rebuilt and put a custom case back on, you know, mm-hmm. that was my son's first ascent. You know, like it's it's more of that in my quote mm-hmm. collection from a state of the collection um, because I'm diving so much like that's a lot of what I'm collecting in my collection is just collecting great weekends wearing, mm-hmm. you know, an SKX and just hanging loose or, yeah, yeah. you know, 
uh, with the Baltic or whatever. But for my 40th, I do, I, I do kind of have an itch like all of us do, you know? Um, but I kind of want, I, if I, if I, if I can just find a brand that ticks all the boxes for the ability for me to have a double 12 and a dive bezel, um, in a, in a, in a case that wears as good as the Aquascaf, um, that's kind of what I've, I, but it doesn't exist. Like that, that's what I'm eyeing. Mm. Um, I'm very curious about Elliot Brown, but you know, uh, it, it, you know, it's a little bit bigger in, uh, of a case profile that I'm typically gravitate towards, but regardless, like, you know, um, a lot of people, you know, kind of gravitate towards a bigger dive watch, especially for guys like me who are diving in a, in a dry suit, you know, like I, mm. I have to wear basically a space space age, uh, strap to get it around my dry suit cuff. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fun fact, uh, the Garmin, Garmin descent, um, somebody asked me recently what, uh, what my favorite dive strap is. And personally, I, I prefer wearing just a good old NATO, uh, strap, but, um, if I, if I can't, because of my dry suit, the Garmin descent has these quick release straps and I can't recommend these enough because oh, they're cool. coolest. Yay. Yeah, it's tool, completely toolless. And the, um, the strap itself in where it connects with the lug or with the spring bar, which I'll do that for podcast effect here has oh, a very click. sad, very satisfying click. Um, I actually bought uh, a couple of these from Garmin because they're 22 and you can get them in 20, um, with, the dive, with the dive extension. Nice. So Typically speaking, if I'm dry dry suit diving, I'll have the Baltic or the SKX on a Garmin quick change strap because it's the only thing I can get around my cuff. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, I, you know that that's the kind of fun quote unquote that in my collection that I'm looking forward to is just doing cool stuff however I can um, on my body and go do stuff. Yeah, um, I mentioned it a few episodes ago. Collecting collecting with a watch and collecting watches are two different things, right? I yeah. believe that was with you actually, but we've spoken it was, about it was, that before. Yeah, you know? the collect the the ing of collecting is yeah, that yeah. episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, but that's also my, that's with collection. sorry. Also with those Garmin straps, we also know that they're uh, boiling waterproof because you know you have to heat your gloves up with boiling water uh, <laughs> on the surface. Okay, that's only in the middle of winter, dude. And man, when it's <laughs> when it's below zero C, uh, yeah, you gotta you gotta do something. So, but yeah, no, like, um, that, that's the state of my collection. Like I said, I, I, I have my eye on something, but it just doesn't exist. And the parts aren't there that I can't, I can't make it myself and I can't mod it myself because the, the case isn't really there yet, but I hope one day, but other than that, I'm just going to go do cool shit with wearing a watch and nice. do stuff with my son. So nice. Well, yeah. if I ever get bored, bro, of that, um, 6139, I'll send it out to you for a bit. <laughs> awesome dude i mean i doubt i will however you never know um mm. cool right um i feel that it's time to move on to the closing notes because ah, we've ranted about everything uh we forgot one what but we can always hit it up we were going to talk very quickly about ungentlemanly conduct within the watch fam i can summarize oh, yeah. it obviously it's it. don't it's i can summarize it it's obviously it's just don't be a dick don't be a muppet don't be a muppet but I think like fundamentally like i've noticed where some people have become really busy and and that's great and people engage with who they engage with it's fantastic i've met some fantastic people via this um social media via the watch chat fam you know it's great but what i don't like is when people do stuff for you or you do stuff for them 
and then they completely blank you out the back of it. It's basically it. You know, like, I've sent some podcast stuff out to someone, effectively. Six months later, (laughs) it got returned to sender. Mm. Like, I don't mind, like, if you don't do that, but it's been in your house for six months. You you could have collected that. Like, I don't care how fucking busy... I'm going to swear again. (laughs) It annoyed me. I don't care how fucking busy you are and how jet set you are with your life because yes we know you travel however it's not hard for you to go to the fucking post office and collect mm. it you know um because it was out of the back of something where they wanted that you know what i mean it's just like happy to send it to you happy yeah. for that whatsoever you know it's only a few patches it's not not a drama but mm. it's more of a case of don't complain to me that they don't turn up when they've been returned to sender you know, and then also I'm trying to send them back to you because you keep asking me for them. Send me a fucking address. It's not hard. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're, we're in the 21st century. If you want something, I'm more than happy to facilitate because I like to think we share the love. And, you know, on the whole, the watch fam is a very good place to be. Yeah. However, just don't use, like you said, this whole watch social influencer element to your advantage. Hmm? Okay. Because it's just it's not a done thing we we hold ourselves or on the whole people put this romanticism don't they on this watch fam collecting like our word is our bond and you agree that you're going to buy a watch at this price that it's agreed right or whatever standard stuff applies don't be a dick effectively um that's kind of like the end of my rant i don't know if you've experienced that lately however Uh. i definitely have um and then like i said it's frankly quite annoying to be honest yeah i've been i've been chilled out on some some conversations i used to have with folks and you know like in in some brands like where they Mm. they've gone a different direction and you know Mm. they just didn't loop me in or whatever um and like you know i kind of i you know coming from media like i kind of like my show is basically my show like i I, you know i i run it the way that i like and Mm. i do have a sponsor they're not watch fam related but I've done, I've used their platform for years. Um, and you know, they're my one sponsor and that's great, but you know, like I, I don't know, like I'm genuinely pretty chill. Like Mm. I had somebody on the back of an episode, um, that really resonated with, with this one episode. And they're like, you know, um, I hate to ask, but like, do you mind if you could send me out a sticker? I was like, sure, man, just give me your address. Like, Mm. what do you want? What do you, how much would you want? Don't worry about it. Just put something cool. And go do something and sh- shoot me a picture of it. You know, well, I don't have anything planned. That's fine. I don't have anything. Planned. I don't care. Just go and do yeah. something. You know, yeah. it's it. Cool. Thanks for supporting the show. You know, it, it, and I've got people who you know support me directly through Patreon or they support through so through the Substack. Um, you know, but like genuinely speaking, like I, I try to be as open as I can. If anybody's got a mm. question, if they got a grief with an episode or whatever, like you know, I, my my biggest thing is because I've been podcasting for over a decade on various different shows is, you know, there's criticism and there's critique and you can do it creatively, but just don't be a dick to the creator. Mm -hmm. Like the show gets put out, you know, uh, like a billion podcasts used to be once a week for once a month because of our, our production schedule. But like, you know, just be nice to the person who's you're consuming content from, you know, um, as a creator, I recently said this on a different show. Like I, I, I genuinely don't check, most of the comments um, or reviews of our show because there was entire years where just it was up and down where like, you know, you get somebody who just goes on a tirade because we say this one thing about the Pacific Northwest and then they're totally tuned out of our show. And how dare we, 
tune in next week for a variety show, whatever, man. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just, it's one of those things where, especially in the creator sphere and, and kind of moving away from like social media and influencing, like, you know, we're creators, you and I create a show, we put it out there for free and, you know, we want engagement and we want creative engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been fact-checked, you know, it's cool. You let me know if I say something wrong. I just, uh, podcast have been in existence for seven years. Trust me. I've, I've, Chris and I have, uh, overstepped on saying something or we got a date wrong or whatever. It's not that big of a deal as no. long as you're kind about it. You know, we're not, we won't be a dick to you if you're not a dick to us, you know, yeah. type of a thing. And so when you do reach out to a creator, you know, just be, you know, kind, it's not hard. Um, I've done that to other podcasters as well. Be like, yo, um, matter of fact, I, at the back of an episode, like they had bad audio. I'm like, yo, you may want to check your upload. And they did. Mm-hmm. They immediately took it down, issued an apology, um, sent me just a quiet DM. I was like, dude, thanks for catching that. And they re-upload. Like genuinely, like if that happened on your show, I'd do the same thing. Like mm-hmm. it's just being kind and helpful. And then if there's something you disagree with, you know, if you're going to voice it, cool. But just don't be like, man, this sucks. <laughs> like, yeah. That's not creative. It's just yeah. not. I've been quite lucky, really. Like I said, it's, I've only ever had like one person in terms of like feedback for the show. Yeah. Now, not photography or anything like, or the overall mm. timely moments, you know, come back with something. And like, I did go back through it, you know, and that's great. You know, ultimately, it was what it sounds like bad. It's one bloke. And, you know, I sent back a, a thing saying, yeah, cheers for that. You know, whatever. Like, we've identified it. However, yeah. the easiest way for you to do this is actually just turn your volume down. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that that's what it was, you know, and, and that's fine. Like you said, people are well within their right to do it. You know, I just, totally. like I said, fortunately for me, I've not had like major criticism in terms of the content consumation, uh, consuming um, mm-hmm. in that regard. I just think, like I said, it, it, what annoys me is the fact that the engagement I've had, which obviously I, I, I clearly alluded to about two minutes ago, was because it was out the back of a personal conversation they've asked for something yeah. and then they've they've just mugged it off so you just like you know they're two different things i think when it gets to that level i think you are being a bit of a dick you know yeah so just just my opinion um moving on to closing notes AJ. oh yeah what have you got bro so i've got so it's kind of a tradition i don't know at this point like every time you ask me for a closing mm-hmm. note i have an old ass book for you so um here in the pacific northwest there's there's kind of a running joke and uh it's it, we're we're typically an area that has a lot of rain and gray skies like there's that stereotype it's genuinely true okay but it's funny because there was this uh, video on Instagram that my wife showed me of like this person getting all cuted up and going to grab their umbrella and they're going to go out in Seattle, Washington and go to, you know, look around. And there's a gentleman that kind of has a curmudgeon face and he goes, we don't use umbrellas here. And what's funny is <laughs> somebody, somebody actually made a reference to the fact that that that's actually a thing. Like it's just, it's a stereotype, but typically speaking, if you ever see like a Hollywood film and it's, it's shot in Seattle, Washington, and there's a bunch of umbrellas. Yeah. It doesn't happen. Typically we layer up, we have hoodies, we have, you know, shells. I mean, REI was founded and created here. So like, we're kind of that type of folk. The stereotype is mm-hmm. genuine, generally true. Um, we're dressed up to go to, on the trail or, or go to work. Could be about the same. Um, yeah. And so there was another video in reference to that that kind of uh, snide comment of like, we don't run umbrellas. They actually found a book um, that was written of the memoirs between 1863 and 1872 from a, a gentleman by the name of Theodore Kirchhoff. 
And it's called Oregon East, Oregon West Travels and Memoirs by said person. Um, and he was a, uh, I believe he was a German American at the time. I haven't read, uh, I just, just picked it up from my, my reference library. Um, but in it, it's funny because he's coming out West. He's a proprietor of a shop. And so he's opening up a shop in Portland, old time Portland. And he was, his commentary of his observations of the Northwest during this era is absolutely hilarious. Like he refers to us as the webbed feet, the web feet people of the Pacific Northwest, where they don't <laughs> use, they don't use civilized machines like umbrellas. Instead, they wallow in pride with their, and I, I'm, I'm not quoting this, but like the wallow in pride in their wetness in their dreary skies. And it's just hilarious listening to this gentleman in the, you know, mid 1800s, mid to the uh, late 1800s of our area. And um, so anyway, I've got that I'm, I'm going to be reading um, just, uh, you know, as somebody who loves the Pacific Northwest and was born and raised here, it's just hilarious to get another take, um, some observations of this region um, in that era. So that's that's my my hot, hot take for you. And it turns out some of the observations clearly haven't changed. Nope. Nope. The only, dif the only difference is, is you may have a branded top that says Patagonia or Arterix. Yep. 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 Or yeah. OR. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Cool. How about you, bro? Um, so I've got two, bro. I've got um, one watch related and one not watch related. So what do you want first? Hmm. Uh, let's um, go with the non watch. Non watch related. So a TV series that was released um, on ITV. So you, those who aren't in England are going to, or Britain, are going to have to get a VPN uh, yeah. to do it, but it's worth it. Um, it's a TV series called. Aspire Among Friends. It features Ooh. Damian Lewis. So Damian Lewis, as we know, is uh, Lieutenant or Major Winters from Band of Brothers, Homeland, and the like. Um, he effectively plays um, a MI6 agent who, hmm. based on true events, uh, was responsible for effectively debriefing and finding out about Kim Philby. Hmm. and the Cambridge Spy Ring. Um, very good TV series. So go check that out. It is more akin to Tinker Taylor, Taylor Soldier Spy than James Bond. Gotcha. Um, but obviously, that's actually what spy work is closer to being like, is what I've been right. told from people in that world um, or have had exposure to that world. And it'll said, you know, that's just kind of what the world of intelligence is. It's report writing and a lot of typing and spat checks and PowerPoint. Research, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but check it out because obviously if people don't know about this, the, the true events, I was about to say story then, but it, some of it is so out of the, this world, really, for the time it, it happened, uh, it would have been considered a fictional story about the whole Cambridge spy ring. So um, very good. And obviously Damien Lewis and a, a host of supporting actors are very good uh, in it. So go check that one out. Um, and the good thing about it is, is it's a short series. I think it's like six episodes in it, and it's done. So, oh, nice. nice. Yeah, that's all good. Uh, and then the final one I've got is Wristwatch Revival. So I've mentioned him before because he does the whole, um, you know, talks to the mic as he strips down watch movements and fixes them and he buys watches off eBay or fixes watches for friends and he goes into all the detail on how to do it and that's just quite a therapeutic thing to have on in the background especially if totally. you're loosely interested in what happens inside these watches as you can clearly tell i've become a little bit obsessed with um but he's actually got a really good one which i will uh, episode it's only 15 minutes long and it's actually 
um, here's hints and tips for if you do want to start having a look inside your watches, what kit to buy, where you should go expensive, where you shouldn't, you know what I mean? And, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I will link that one into the show notes. But he's done a really good one, which was for a friend of his. And it was a 1016 Rolex Explorer. Whoa. So he fixed up one of those. Um, the episode's average out about 40 minutes to an hour. But like I said, I just keep them one background and they're just quite nice. therapeutic, you know, so you can dip in and out. You don't have to pay attention to really what he's doing. But mm-hmm. what I like about it is that he explains it at every stage, what he's doing yeah. and why he's doing it and how, if he didn't do it this way, it affects it all. But what's interesting and quite cool is that, you know, he's human. So he's not like, you know, he's effectively he's a hobbyist. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's, he's done this out the back of just a keen, keen interest. And now people send him watches and he does his own projects. But, yeah, you know, it's not out of the realm of impossibility that if you got into this, you could get to that level, which is really cool. You know, and like, you know, he still gets things wrong where he's like, he'll open up a watch. He goes, oh, I have no idea what that is. You know, and you'll have to go sort <laughs> out or, or he'll go, oh, I wasn't expecting that. You know what I mean? Or right. he'll put things back together and you'll be like, beat errors out. I mean, it explain to you what B error is and how he's looking at it and go, right, I now need to dissemble this whole thing and yeah. start again. You know, um, and I think really, like I said, if you're not going to get into it in terms of actually taking your own watches apart, I think it just gives you a bit of a appreciation, guys, for actually the time and effort that it does go into servicing these things and therefore why you pay £650 for an ETA 7750 base chronograph to be serviced. Right. You know, because it's the time, isn't it? So Yeah. Mate, I am I am so glad that there are more enthusiasts that are putting out content to like educate like the mm. basic mechanics side of things. Cause you know, my son turned six. So like it was seven years ago that I started doing, you know, the the one watch project for him, the PNW001, right? And like you remember that era when I was bitching about trying to find resources to be able to when I have a click that spring that shot across my dining room table as I'm working on mm-hmm. it. I'm like, what do I do now? Like outside of knowing a handful of watchmakers that were kind enough to answer my DMs, you know, it was tough going and or and or trying to find any visual material that wasn't from the 1980s of like Mm -hmm. how to use certain tools. You know, it is awesome that like you're starting to tinker and anybody else who just wants to get into watch husbandry, you know, being able to tend to simple things like gaskets or, you know, like um, there was a conversation that I had where somebody asked me like on my SKX, have I ever changed out the gaskets on it? I'm like, yeah, I do it every four or five years because I do dive with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it is literally a dollar 50 fix. Uh, and I'm being generous here of a gasket and lube that makes sure that I'm not going to flood my watch. Great yeah. game over. Um, but it's, it's things like that where, you know, now there's a lot more content and I'm sure watchmakers are probably cringing like, yeah, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's right, but at least it's a start, you know, like, that's that the w- point, right? It's a start, yeah. you know, and if people will let you say, want to get down into it, they'll either reach out for the correct advice or right. if it sounds really bad, like they'll do it, it'll go wrong and I'll learn from it. Yeah. It happened to me twice <laughs> yeah you know what i mean yeah. um but I, like i said i just think it's cool right you know we, we we like looking at these things and we like collecting stories with them like you said you know going off mm. and doing things with them but like i think a part of it is also just understanding what goes into it and yeah. you know where you can like i said because at the end of the day like i said you know a, a watch service is 500 pound and up some watches you know that's expensive every few years you know five maybe seven years it is expensive to to throw that out but you know but when you you know times that by 30 it's a lot of watches that you've got to look after you know what i mean so so yeah 
no, I, it's really cool. So I'm also glad that there's that content because it means that I can also learn and have a go. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. But no, AJ, it's been really good, mate, to, as always, to get you onto the podcast, to have a yeah. long rant. Um, guys, I'm going to be lazy as, you know, because I do this for free. Um, and I'm going to give you the whole episode. So the whole episode yeah. will go up. This is, you know, a two hour rant, skip through to your heart's content of whatever you want to talk, yeah, listen to me and AJ talk about. Um, however, you'll get a more succinct product from AJ over the <laughs> Analog Explorer podcast. Eventually. eventually. Um, but that's basically it, really. I've got nothing else for you. Um, AJ, it's been a pleasure having you on um, this extra long episode, but I think, like I said, it was worth it because we hit everything that we've been meaning to talk about for a long time, um, well, at least since before Kenya, uh, yeah. and we just haven't got around to doing it. Um, I look forward to getting back on the mic with you uh, at the end of the week. I've seen mm-hmm. at the time of recording at the end of the week with Dev, where we can talk specifically about vintage Seiko and all things like that and get Dev to talk to you a little bit more about the incoming uh, 60 6139 sorry always getting confused um that's coming in um but other than that bro i've got nothing else so you know cheers and uh, we'll catch you in the next episode yep catch you next episode thanks bro 